You know, in life, we sometimes make mistakes. And I made a big one this week. I wrote a sermon about Daniel, but my outline says David. I don't know. We're talking about Daniel, not David today. So I apologize if you got to mark out a word and change it in the bulletin if you're writing outlines with me. But I made a big mistake. So there you go. We're going to talk about David in the lion's den. I mean, Daniel in the lion's den this morning. <laughs> we'll get it right. Keep praying, whoever that was. It's about time. This summer story speaks to the difficult choices that we all make in life. Uh, and whether it's we face a literal lion in life where life is at risk or moments where our reputation could be could fail or something in between, every one of us faces choices in life. And sometimes we feel trapped. That's why I've entitled the message Trapped. This story is set in the context of the southern kingdom are living in captivity in what is today modern Iran. And, and back then it was called the Medes and the Persians and it was superseded, uh, who had superseded the Babylonians. But this kingdom was so big, so massive, so strong that God had used them to bring judgment on God's people, to level the city of Jerusalem, to invade the promised land, to bring judgment on the people, to sack the city, to destroy the temple of God, to deport the very best and brightest people uh, in the country. And it was during this captivity that Daniel, not David, rose to a very influential position, yet he maintained his commitment to God. And it was his commitment to God that caused him to be a pariah to the leaders uh, of the land. And so the first thing I want you to see is that Daniel, not David, Daniel chose cooperation Instead of complaining, let's begin with verses 1 to 3. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, think of them as governors, if you will, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because he because he had an excellent spirit was in him. And the king pled a set plan... <laughs> can't even speak this morning, planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So as we enter this story, what we find is God's people are living in captivity. Now, I'll give you a little preview. Next week, we're going to be looking at uh, the people as they come out of captivity for a few weeks. So this kind of is our lead-in sermon and closing sermon together. But their ongoing corporate sin as a people have caused them to be... Uh, brought judgment on them. And so the Babylonians brought judgment. Then the Persians over, uh, rose to overthrow them. And, and, and remember, God only tolerates sin so long he, before he says, I'm going to bring judgment. And after many years of wavering between faithfulness and unfaithfulness, God uses pagan people. Now let that one sink in for you. Pagan people to bring about judgment. That's what he does. The young men were carried uh, to a foreign land. They were brought into places that they had to work for uh, wicked kings, evil empires. And into this city, we find Daniel. And Daniel wasn't just getting along. He was thriving. Well, let that sink in. He's been brought into captivity, and yet he's thriving in that situation. He has gone from being just one of the guys to being one of the three who are leading, and now he is one who is about to become over the whole kingdom. It's amazing how God can use that. 
And so what we find in this situation is that David has approached this situation with a good attitude. He chose a right approach. Now notice what happens. When you're brought into a situation like Daniel was, what you find is that you have a decision to make, don't you? How will you respond? Will you get angry? Will you get bitter? Will you shut down? Or will you respond well? And that's what I want you to notice, that Daniel chooses cooperation instead of complaining. It would have been very easy for him to get there and just shut down. It would have been very easy for him to get upset. It would have been very easy for him to be angry. Instead, he says, I'm going to do what I can in the midst of this. He understood that this was God's plan for his people, that he was working in this situation. And he chose in a difficult situation to be cooperative instead of to be a complainer. And he says, I'll work in the situation. So Daniel chose cooperation instead of complaining. Second, Daniel then chose commitment instead of confusion. Let's come on down the story. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. And notice this phrase here. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Now catch this. These men says, if we're going to get him, we're going to have to get him on something other than who he is. They say, these men, we're going to find a ground of complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then the high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said, oh, King Darius, y'all probably remember this story from Bible school, don't you? Live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. We know this story. Now, O king, established, oh, established the injunction, signed the document so that it can't be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. And King Darius signed the document. So there's a vast conspiracy going on in this, in this place. Daniel has rising through the, the ranks. He has become important. He's about to become the, the leader of the kingdom and going to take care of things. But the ones around him are not happy. Have you ever noticed how when someone rises to leadership, there always to be, seems to be someone who wants to come along and what? Undercut them, tear them down. That's what's going on in the situation here. What I want you to notice, though, is less the machinations of the people in the background because we want to focus on those guys and go, well, why would they do that? Don't go there. So they have searched and searched and they have found nothing they can accuse him of. And what we find is that David, while we've already seen he's working for the good of the, of the enemies, he's also living in a way that nobody can accuse him. And they have thought and thought and thought, how do we get him? And the only way they can bring him down is through his relationship with God. Isn't that interesting? They're going to attack him on that level. He's lived an upright life. Now, remember, in that day, many nations had multiple gods. And the big idea was if... If our nation has defeated your nation, that means our God has defeated your God, and your God's weak and worthless and useless. And that's how they viewed Daniel's God. But these jealous men, what they do is they go, we're going to find a way to bring him down. And they thought, and they thought, and they thought. And they come up with this law. And King Darius, in his hubris, signs off on it. And it sets the stage for the lion's den. Come on down to the third point here. So then David and Daniel chooses conscientiousness instead of compromise. So notice what happens. Y'all got the picture at this point. These people have said, we're going to get David. No, we're not going to get David. We're going to get Daniel. Well, I'm having a hard time with that this morning. 
especially when she keeps showing on the screen up there every time I put it in wrong. It's not your fault. It's my fault. Anyway, uh, Daniel, he's struggling with this. He's going, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? How do I respond? The rule of the land is what? You can't do it. You can't ask of a God other than the king anything for 30 days. So how is Daniel going to respond? Look at the verse. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... He went to his house where he had his windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done what? Previously. He says, I will work with the king in the land. I will work in the government of the king in this land. I will do the things I can because this is where God has me, but I am not going to waver on my commitment to God. And so... You can imagine the picture nearby. These men came by agreement. They said, you go sit over there, you go sit over there, and we're going to watch him because we know what he's going to do. And they found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, Oh, king, didn't you sign a rule? Didn't you pass a new rule? Now, I'm going to read the passage. You know what happens. They said, okay, he's done it. And they went and said, you've got to deal with this situation. Oh, king, are your rules are going to go out the window. So the law has been written. Daniel has no choice to make. He says, I'm going to either continue my spiritual discipline of praying or I'm going to break the law, break it, do what I want to do in deference to the law. Which one it will be? Which one it will happen here? We've already seen Daniel is not averse to working with the nation who's taking him captive, but his decision was, will I compromise my convictions or would I compromise for the sake of my position? He has a choice to make. But really, it wasn't a choice for him because what he does is he does what he's always done. He goes three times a day to his upper room with a window that faces the, to Jerusalem, and he says, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to get in before God's presence, and I'm going to talk to him. Of course, they have their spies sitting around there watching. Daniel, however, says, I'm not going to compromise my convictions. I'm not going to step back, even if I face consequences. I will not waver. I conscientiously choose faithfulness. Then Daniel chose composure. Now, you know, as as we might say, it all comes down at this point. Things are not good. So the king is upset. I think he's as upset with himself as he is with Daniel. But he's got the situation. The rule has been past. They, the, the outcome is done. It's got to happen this way. So the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast where? Into the den of lions. And you're going, I don't think that sounds like much fun. Well, you're right. It's not. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. And he cried out with a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they've not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad. 
and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. So we come to the scene that we're very familiar with, the one where he goes to the den of lions. Now, the king has worked all day trying to find a loophole in his own law so that he doesn't have to put Daniel in the den. But he hasn't found one. Now, some of us find that strange. Well, he made the rule. He surely can change the rule. Well, they had a tradition that if it's the law of the Medes and Persians, it could not be changed. It has to be fulfilled and done. So he was bound by his own law. To break that law would have been a problem for him. And so he says, we're going to have to go through with it. I'm not happy about it, but we're going to do it. And so at sunset, Daniel was brought to the door of the den and cast into the lions. Now, what we don't see here, I think, is important. Now, watch with me. What we find here is a lack of something. You're going, a lack of what? Did you notice that when Daniel gets to the door, he doesn't go, Oh, please, king, don't put me in there. He went in the door. He said, this was God's plan. This is God's purpose. And I trust God to take care of me through this. He says, you're going to take care of me. And so he doesn't fight the guards. He doesn't make a scene. He doesn't, he faces a moment of compassion, of composure, not concern here. And he enters the doorway with a faith, a faith that what? That God, his God would take care of him. Now, does that mean he believed that he wouldn't die that night? I don't think so. All he said is, I believe that God will carry me through it. And sometimes we think, well, God, you've got to carry me through before I'll believe you. How about we believe and then let him carry us through? Then notice the response of Daniel as he comes out of that place. I think that's as important as any. The king was relieved when he was alive. But notice Daniel's response. He says, king, you're the king, but I'm giving God the credit for what you've done, what's happened here. He says, the, the, the king, king, the, the, God sent angels to, to shut the mouths of lions. God sent deliverance to me. He tells the king, you've provided for me, and God has delivered me. And then one more thing that David, uh, Daniel had to choose. Whoa, I'm having a hard time with that one today. Daniel chose calm instead of chaos. Now, at the end of the story, and we often cut this off in Bible school. I don't know why we don't really go into this part of the story, because it's kind of a cool little aspect to it. So when Daniel is delivered... The king makes a command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the lion, the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. Now, all of us are going to agree in our culture that seems overly difficult. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Wow. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and language that dwell on the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, because he's the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions, so this Daniel prospered, during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Now, there's two outcomes that I want you to grasp before we try to apply this today. First, King Darius did something that most of us would go, well, shouldn't he have turned a, key, turned a cheek? Shouldn't he have forgiven them? Not within their culture. Those who had accused Daniel were thrown into the lion's den with their wives, their children. They were destroyed. They were killed. They were gone. Their actions had consequences, as harsh as that sounds to us. 
But second, I want you to see this. Look at Daniel's response. Now back up a step with me. Before Daniel went into the lion's den, he was on the verge of being named what? The ruler over all this stuff. He comes out of the lion's den. That hasn't changed. So now he is victorious. He is now a, an overcomer. He is now a leader again. But how does he respond? He could have taken that moment to say, I'm going to knock off all my enemies. I'm going to get rid of those who tried to hurt me. Of course, the king had already done a bunch of it. But he could have made a step at that point to do even more, couldn't he? But he doesn't. Isn't that interesting to me? It is to me. Instead, he was blessed by God. He prospered greatly. It doesn't mean he was released from captivity, but he was able to step up and be faithful in a pagan land. Now, what do we do with this? A lot of story that we could have gone in deeper. Y'all probably have things you want to do sometime around 3 o'clock, or we'd been here forever today, talking about David in the lion's den. Anyway. The first thing I want you to see is this. There's a, a choice that we have to make in life. I'm talking to us, those of us who are followers of Christ, okay? We have a choice every step of every day, every moment of everything. Are we going to be faithful or not? And my challenge to you is to be faithful at all times. Choose faithfulness at all times. Let, let, let's be honest. Every single one of us is a product of our choices. You are who you are. You are where you are because of choices you have made in life. Now, some of you say, well, somebody else made the choice and I had to deal with the repercussions of it. You made a choice to be there with them. We have to be people who are Choosing faithfulness. Every decision we make sets the stage for the next phase of life. So as a follower of Jesus, the decisions we make, very important. Do we make them based on a whim? Do we make them based on our hopes? Or do we base them on the leading of God? Now, I've got to tell you, most of us have never faced a situation like Daniel, have we? We've never been carried off to a pagan land. We've never been forced to serve a pagan king. We've never had to go do We'd have to, But we have those choices. I suspect many of us would not have been as cooperative as David was. I suspect many of us would have got there and said, well, it ain't going to make me do anything. Why do I know that? Because that's the human condition. We don't like to deal with things that we don't want to deal with. We fight against things that we don't agree with. We get, y'all with me? That's the stuff we deal with. That's who we are. Most of us would have likely griped, complained, staged a strike, a slow work, slow down. We'd look for ways to escape. I'm going to get out of here. You can't make me. But what those responses often overlook, and bear with me, is the divine will of God in our lives. The captivity that God's people were in, now let this sink in, was God's will. Any of you struggle with that? Surely God would let his people go through a hard season. Surely God would let his people go into captivity. Surely would his people be destroyed in their land. That's exactly what God did. And you go, Ooh. but I thought well, everything was supposed to be easy and fun and sunny and great and wonderful when I follow God. Not always. They were dealing with the consequences of their rebellion. 
And so for Daniel to go against this situation would have been to go against, let that sink in, the will of God. But even in the face of all of this, and even with Daniel's cooperation, did you notice he didn't waver on his faithfulness to God? He says, I'm going to do everything I can for the people I'm serving, where I'm living, doing it. I'm going to do all the things I can. But there comes a point where you go, I can't go there. You can't pray anymore. No, I'm going to, was his answer. Paul spoke to the New Testament Christians, Jewish Christians in the New Testament about the importance of remaining faithful. He said this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. You know, let me challenge you. Take that verse this week and let that be your verse of faithfulness. Maybe read that verse every morning this week. Maybe pray that verse this week and say, God, I'm going to hold fast to the confession of my hope and I'm not going to waver. I'm going to be faithful because you who promised is faithful and I want to be faithful to you. May we be like Daniel choosing that. Number two, I want to challenge you with this thought. Believe that God still delivers. Do you believe that God can deliver you from what you're in, the mess you're in, the problems you're in? Daniel and his people were trapped in a captivity in a pagan foreign land. The choices of their nation before the captivity, they had had idol worship, unrepentant hearts, and God had said, okay, enough. He sent judgment. But you remember, God didn't send judgment on them to destroy them, right? He didn't send them into captivity to eliminate them. He said, I'm sending you in that captivity. Why? To correct you. God delivers in his time. I think that's something we need to remember. That so often we make an assumption. Things aren't going well. Things are going bad. Things are going this. Things are going that. And we make an assumption. I think it's a false assumption that says this. Oh God, where are you? You've left me. You've abandoned me. i got to tell you, in my experience, that God is often the most evident and the most present in the hardest seasons of life. Not the easiest seasons of life. He carries us through those times. And we lean him. On him. The psalmist reminded the people of God many years ago this. He says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord, what? Hears and delivers them out of their troubles. You mean he takes all the troubles away and I never have a problem? That's not what it says. He says he will deliver us out of those things. He will bring us through them. When we call out to God with a right heart and a pure motive, he's there. When we ask according to his will, he's there. When we ask him to move according to his time, he's there. So often we don't see God's answer our prayers because we ask that's amiss, as the New Testament writes it. And we ask things and we go, God, I want you to do this. And he goes, well, that's not my will. He's not going to do that. But when we ask according to his will, guess what happens? He moves every time. So it's incumbent upon us to what? Find ourselves in the midst of God's will. One last thought as we wrap up this series, this Labor Day weekend. We need to recognize God's continual presence. Where is God? He's out there somewhere. No, where is God? If you're a follower of His, where is God? He's right here. He's with you. He's with us. It would be easy for people like uh, for people like the nation of Daniel to say, "Well, no, God's way off." You remember how Daniel's house was set up? His window faced which direction when he prayed? Did you catch that in the story? His house 
window faced where? Jerusalem. Some of us go, that's weird. I don't have a room at my house set up that faces this building so that I can pray, okay? But they believed that God was centered on the temple. And what... One of the things that came out of the captivity was this. They began to understand that God was not limited to one location, but he was ever-present with them. They think, well, God, the the temple's destroyed. You're way over there. Nothing could be further from the truth. Part of what the people of God were learning in this captivity, aside from their tolerance of sin, was that God was not limited to the temple in Jerusalem. He was with them regardless of what land they lived in, regardless of the circumstance they faced. And while they were hundreds of miles from Jerusalem, God was just a prayer away. The psalmist wrote it this way. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or hell, you are there. The same is true for you and me. You go, well, I feel God when I'm at camp. Some of the kids will say. I feel God when I'm at a retreat. Some will say. I feel God when I'm at church. But I don't always feel God when I'm at work. I don't always feel God when I'm at home. I don't feel God when we're out playing. That's not because God's not there. It's because we're not in tune with Him when we're there. He is there with us. But I've got to tell you, until you trust Him as your Savior, He's not with you yet. He's around. He loves you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. He has a direction for you. But, but, but He's not with you in that sense of ever-presence in your life. And so what, what we come to the end of this series, just as a reminder, Bible school. <laughs> How many kids trusted Christ in Bible school that you know of over the years? It's one of the best ways to draw children into faith. My hope for you is that you, as we close our Bible school this summer for adults, is that you know the Lord and that you've come to that place where you've trusted Him. And we want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Have you said yes to Jesus? Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for the blessings of being in your house. And we thank you for this little story of Daniel and his faithfulness to you. And Father, help us understand that you call us to be faithful as well. We pray your hand to be upon us as we go through this coming week. We ask you to be blessed in our lives and we ask you to be lifted up in Jesus' name.